My name's Vicky, and I belong to Jesus. I worship Jesus here at Life Point Church. I believe in the healing and saving power of God. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive and coming back. So open your Bibles or your phones. James 3, 4 to 12. A small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses it to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it's set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises the Lord our God, our Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. The truth that we can glean from this is our tongue is capable of bringing you down or lifting you up to the heavens. We seem to have been concentrating on our words, you know, as a church, um, for, a, a, for a while. So obviously there's some work we need to do here. I'm going to start with self-talk. Oh my goodness, I can't stress this enough. This is what I have been struggling with perhaps most of my life, is bad self-talk. Negative self-talk is probably the most damaging thing you can do to yourself and also to others. Negative self-talk has the power to rob you of your faith. It has the power to disarm you and render you incapable of fighting the enemy. You see why this is a potent weapon in the enemy's toolbox. Given that the devil is a liar and whatever comes out of his mouth is a lie, then it is safe to say that he will feed you lies about yourself in order to encourage you to repeat them out loud. Why? Because he knows that the tongue is a loaded gun. James 3.6, go back to that. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Let me ask you this. Do you get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and then verbally pass a negative comment about yourself? Before your feet have hit the floor in the morning, have you verbalised some negative about the day, yourself, someone else, or your situation? Negativity is like an infection. The more it is ignored or not addressed, the worse it will get. 
negativity is also highly infectious and it has the power to spread to those around you. I, I did have a couple of photos to put up, but um, we had a technical hitch and I wasn't able to get them up there. I've got um, a Dr. Misato Emoto. Misato Emoto. Is that right, Selwyn? <laughs> Conducted an experiment. We had three jars of rice. He covered the rice with water up to a point and conducted the ex experiment over a month. To the first jar, he said, thank you. To the second jar, he said, you're an idiot. And to the third jar, he did nothing and said nothing and basically just completely ignored it. Over the course of a month, the jar that thank you was said to began to ferment and give off a pleasant aroma. The second jar that you're an idiot was said to started to turn black. The third jar that nothing was said to went through the natural process of decay and began to mould away until I'm sure in the end there would have been nothing left of the original rice. Isn't it interesting that positive words spoken over it started to transform the rice into something maybe better, sort of like a rice wine perhaps, I don't know. If it was fermenting, that's probably what it was doing. Um, so a, a better, a better version of itself. Isn't it interesting that the jar that had a definite negative word spoken over it actually became diseased. It didn't decay, it diseased. It's like a pathogen was introduced to the rice and a pathogen is an organism that causes disease. The rice literally became diseased and became something bad. Isn't it interesting that the jar that was ignored began to decay? Let me ask you this. Would it be natural for you completely to completely ignore someone in your household? Would it be natural for you to get up in the morning and not say a word to whoever is in your house. To come in, well, you know, some days maybe. To, to come in at the end of the day and completely bypass the person or persons you live with without any form of acknowledgement at all. To sit and watch the telly and then get up and go to bed without so much as a good night to that person. Do we do that to God? He's right there with us every day. When we're in our cars, when we're in our home, when we're out and about, when we're at our jobs, he's right there. How often do we ignore him? It's not natural to ignore him. Okay, so we've established that it is essential that we do not speak negatively over our lives and others' lives. I think right now we should stop and examine ourselves and see if we need to repent of the negativity we have been speaking over ourselves. If you feel to, you can stand and um, we, go, we can repeat a prayer together. Kerry, have you got that there? 
So if you'd like to stand, if you, if you feel like you're in this position, I certainly am. <laughs> okay. Is it up there? Cool. Right. Thank you, Father, for your promise that if I confess my sins, you are faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I confess that I have spoken negatively over myself and others. I repent of this sin and ask for you for your forgiveness. I ask you, God, that I become a declarer of your truth to myself and to others. I pray that I would be free from the dominion of sinful strongholds in my life, becoming blameless and innocent. I ask God that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in the sight of my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Okay, be seated. Okay. Now that we've cleared the decks, we've got a clean slate. Let's move on to receiving a few few truths about God. The truth that nothing is impossible with God. This story of the Shunammite woman, I've had this for years in my heart, and I, it's never been the right time. It's now the right time. And Elisha, um, so it's a Shunammite woman and Elisha. It's so exciting by its very faith in God's ability to ac- accomplish the impossible so let's read. So 2 Kings 4, 8 to 37. One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And he said to her husband, Behold now, I... on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him and he said to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would, you? would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, then what is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season... Declaration, people. At this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And he, she said, No, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about the time, by about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers and he said to, my, to his father, Oh, my head, my head, 
The father said to his servant, carry him into his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him into his mother, the child sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither the new moon or the Sabbath. And she said, All is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on, do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and she came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered Gehazi, All is well. And when she came to the mountain, to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then he said, did, Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment. Take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet them. If anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child turned around and said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So she didn't dash off after Kahazi. She stayed where she was. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead, laid the staff on the face of the child, and there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned and to meet him and told him, the child has not awakened. When Elijah came to the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth to his mouth, his eyes to his eyes, and his hands to his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again, walked once back and forth in the house, and went up and stretched himself upon the child. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came in, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Isn't that just the most amazing story? What faith in God, what absolute belief in the healing powers of God. So let's go back and have a detailed look at the story. First of all, this woman of Shunem was a God-fearing woman. She was pretty self-contained, having all that she needed to go through life comfortably, meaning she was well off and she didn't want for anything. She did not have a child. 
This, this must have been quite a heartbreak for her and her husband as children were considered to be a, an essential part of marriage back then. To be barren was to be somehow defective. Along came Elijah. Now we have to remember that because of our downfall from grace back in the Garden of Eden, we no longer had an open and close open and close relationship with God. This was not because God no longer wanted that relationship. It was merely that our sin could not be in his presence. God appointed certain men to be his representatives on earth, meaning that these men had a very close working relationship with God and were appointed to carry out tasks and miracles and correction and, you know, all the things that, that God would do. Um, on God's behalf. Of course, now because of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus has made on the cross, we now have access to that intimate and amazing relationship every day with God. Anyway, back to the story. Elisha was so impressed with the hospitality of this woman that she showed him and his servant Gehazi that he wanted to do something for her. He named a few things and she said basically, no thanks, I'm fine. I have everything that I need. After some discussion with Gehazi, he decided that he would grant her a child and he declared, at this season, about this time next year, very, very precise, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, oh, my, oh, man of God, do not lie to your servant. It's like, oh, don't lie to me. <laughs> but the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elijah had said. Elisha, sorry. She went on to have this child and he grew. The Bible does not say how old this child was when the incident occurred. But he was not a man, he was still a child. So let's say, I don't know, about 10 maybe. He could fit on her lap, so he couldn't be too big. The Bible says that he was out with his father in the field and started to complain of a severe headache. His father told a servant, carry him back to his mother. The Bible also says that he lay on his mother's lap until noon and then died. He died. He didn't go into a coma, he wasn't unconscious, he stopped breathing and he died. Now here comes the amazing feat of faith on behalf of the Shunammite woman. Can you imagine holding your son and watching him slip away before your eyes and not saying anything? Not crying, not wailing, not calling for help, not calling for an ambulance, not turning yourself inside out with absolute grief. She must have been suffering from shock. What did she do? She got up from her seat with the child still in her arms, went up, and st up the stairs and laid him on Elisha's bed. The bedchamber that was exclusively for the use of Elisha, meaning no one else went up there. She basically put him out of the way of anyone that may come across him. Why? Here is where her grit and determination came to the fore. 
Really, what should have been happening here is that Dad should have been informed immediately, the servant should have been put to task preparing the body, and the whole grieving process of that time should have started immediately. There should have been a process that was followed right from the point of death that involved any number of people. What happened? She kept his death away from everyone that could contaminate her faith in the healing power of God. Let me say that again. She kept her she kept his death away from anyone, everyone aware that they could contaminate her faith in the healing power of God. Wow. Wow. How many times have we been robbed of our faith by our very own brothers and sisters in Christ? This is not a condemnation speech. It's just, we say stuff. We say stuff, you know, we feel sorry for somebody, we say stuff. We are believing for something that is lining up with the word of God and some loving Christian says something that whips your feet right out from underneath you. The reality is looking nothing like what you were believing for and your brothers and sisters are also telling you to get real. It happens. Okay? Once again, this is not a condemnation thing. Be careful who you share with. Those things that you are believing for are precious in the sight of God and must be treated so too. Our Shunammite woman went so far as to say to the servants, all is well. All was not well. And the facts were not lining up with her words. But the truth was, all was well. Anyone that she came in contact with, she said, all is well. What a declaration. She had just lain her dead son in a room and she was going around and saying, it's fine, I'm fine. Elisha went so far as to send his servant to raise the child from the dead with his own staff, but that did not work. And the Shunammite woman was fully aware that it would not work. She would not leave Elisha because she knew without a shadow of a doubt that her son would only live again through God healing him and that could only happen through God's representative on earth. I love this story. I just love this story. I would love to be like this woman with her faith. I'm becoming more and more aware of the power of declaring the word of God over your circumstances, your family, and those you have within your sphere of influence. Incidentally, Marge prayed for my leg. And I had declared also, I will have no pain up here. And I have no pain. <laughs> okay. Uh, what are you believing for? What are you guys believing for? What am I believing for? Is it a loved one who has moved away from God? Is it a loved one who doesn't even know God? Is it healing? Is it healing for someone else? Is it material needs? Yes, it's okay to need money and material things. It's okay to pray for money, not to it though. 
Your heart may not line up with the words that you declare. Declare them anyway. Instead of getting up in the morning or waking up in the morning and going, um, oh, you know, oh, gosh, I've got a meeting today. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I've done that. Get up and say, God is on his throne. Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit's working today. Okay? You might not feel like that. Nowhere in the Bible says that you have to feel that way. But your heart will start to line up with your words. I'll tell you a little story from when my boys were very young. They're now, what are they, 27 and 25. Um, We were living in a house up Heatherly Heights, right up the top. And my oldest boy was probably about five years old at the time. He became very anxious about burglars. I don't know whether he'd seen something on the TV or what, what, whatever. He was really, really anxious about burglars. And I thought, what can I do for him? And I said, so I waited until it was dark and I took him outside with me. <clears throat> and I said, see, can you see that corner of our property over there? And he said, yes, I can see that. And I said, what about that corner over there? And he said, yep. So I took him around the other side of the house and I said what about that corner can you see that corner and he said yes I can and and to the other corner and I said did you know there is a huge angel standing on each of those corners and as soon as I said it I went oh my goodness there's a huge angel standing on my property on that on those corners to that point I was trying to make a, a young boy feel safe, knowing that this was a truth, but it actually became a complete reality. I knew there were angels standing on our property. And it it actually sort of gave me a bit of a, oh my goodness. But what happened? I declared that. I declared that, that my property was protected by the Lord God, and it was. I've got another little story here that only came through last night. A friend of mine who lives over in Masterton and her friend, um, her marriage broke up and and she's now, um, you know, on her own and looking to buy a house. All right. She had given up looking for a place to buy. They were going for more than she could pay. Being on a single income, she was limited to the mortgage repayments she could service. When the place next to me came onto the market, we went to have a look, and it was just perfect for her. There were many other people going through, and it was very—it was a very tidy home, appealing to a variety of buyers. As it was a deadline sale, she put forward her very best offer which was the top end of for her and didn't leave much wriggle room. So we prayed and declared, these are God-fearing women, that the, if this was the house the Lord had for her, then it was already hers. They also prayed that the situation be called out from sitting under the kingdom and rulership of this world and to sit under the kingdom of heaven, under his ways and his purposes. Okay, that's the prayer that they prayed. They also prayed 
for a fair price and that the spirit of mammon and greed be broken over it. When the deadline came, this woman was the only offer. There had been another four verbals, but that all dropped off for a variety of reasons. The agent called her to tell her the offer was accepted. But as it was the only offer, she felt morally obligated to tell her she could renegotiate her price. So she got the house for $17,000 less than her original offer, which she felt was a very fair price. Interestingly, the agent said she would have thought even her first offer would have been too low to secure the home. That's God, isn't it? That declaration is awesome. What are you believing for? Put it to God, declare it, and don't interfere with what God is doing. It's another thing. Um, only do what he tells you to do and no more. Okay? Don't be leaving tracks around for your spouse who's not coming to church and directing them towards programs on TV. Unless God tells you to do that. Don't be meddling with what he wants to do. If you're believing for a house or material needs or whatever... Give it to him and do only what he says to do. Okay, leave it alone. I'm the worst one for that. <laughs> I have to get my hands in there and meddle and, and you know, I, I hold up the work of God because I have to put my two cents worth in. We are going to finish now with a declaration. In Jesus' name, I speak peace over everyone here. In Jesus' name, I speak comfort over everyone here. In Jesus' name, I speak total healing over us. In Jesus' name, I call our loved ones back to God. In Jesus' name, I speak mental health and well-being over us. In Jesus' name, I speak prosperity over us. 